David did. I submit to you that David was more fully clothed in his armor of trusting in the faithfulness of God than he ever was putting on that heavy bronze medal that Saul put on him. And he said, this is ridiculous. I can't wear this. Sometimes we put on the wrong armor. We trust in ourselves. We trust in our ingenuity, our wisdom, our faithfulness, our righteousness. And that's worthless. That's easy pickings for Satan. So the Bible says it's inevitable. We're going to face an evil day. And when that day comes, if we have on the armor of God, we will stand and we will withstand the enemy. And today what I want to talk about is this shield of faith. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming darts or the fiery darts of the enemy. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about what that shield of faith is. So here's the outline. It's a very simple outline. Three things, really quick. It's going to be a fast sermon today. Number one, I want to give you an encouragement that an active soldier will always draw fire. This is for people that are on the front line of mission for God, okay? Secondly, I want to give you a warning. These flaming darts can be devastating and debilitating. They can sting. That's the deal with the fiery, the flaming. It's the, these darts will be wrapped in pitch and set on fire and then shot in Roman warcraft. And that's the image that Paul gives us here. And thirdly, a strategy. How do we take up the shield of faith and use it? How do we extinguish these darts? So that's the first thing. And I want to tell you, uh, I want to show you what this shield would look like. Remember, Paul wrote Ephesians from prison. He was chained between two Roman guards. He had a lot of time to contemplate armor. And so he had in his mind a specific piece of armor that he's talking about here. And many people would think it's this, this dude with the X through him, that that's this shield that the Apostle Paul is talking about. But I would submit to you, you take that shield and you go out in battle and you see what happens when the archers turn loose on you, right? No. Actually, they have uncovered, that's an actual pitch, picture from an archaeological dig that they uncovered and the shield is two and a half feet wide and it's about four and a half or five feet tall and it would completely envelop the soldier, okay? He would stand behind it and you say, that looks clumsy and cumbersome and heavy. Why in the world would you want to do that? It's not very agile. Well, there's why. That's why you want this shield and not the little round one that like Captain America uses and throws at people, okay? You're not going to be throwing this shield at anybody. This thing's heavy. And I would submit to you this. You, you use this shield... That's really point one, the encouragement. The people who need this shield are the people who have drawn enemy fire. In other words, you have captured the attention of your enemy. And why would you capture Satan's attention? Why? Because you've taken up your cross, right? You're serious about your faith. You're trying to make an impact in your neighborhood. You're trying to make an impact at work. You're willing and, and courageously able to stand up and say, hey, this is what Christ means to me when the time's appropriate. You're willing and able to speak about your Christian faith in thoughtful and meaningful ways so that the world will understand. Then you have drawn enemy fire. It's like the tallest tree in the forest attracts the lightning. Well, listen, the faithful Christian is the one who needs this shield because you are on the front lines of what is going on. That's what this is all about. So that's the encouragement. If you're being faithful for Jesus as you should be, you're a target. And you say, well, man, I, that doesn't encourage me. Well, well, listen, that's just reality. The Bible says we're in this war, but the good news is you can defend yourself. You need to be living on mission for Jesus. You, you ought to want to be faithful and to be an effective, humble, obedient, and fruitful service servant to Christ. That's what this is all about. 
And this happens all the time. I see it because I'm a church planner and I walk in circles where I'm talking to missionaries. A couple who have been serving overseas and then they came back to the States. Uh, I can't even mention their name because they're, they're missionaries like that. They don't want their name out there because they're in Muslim, hostile, hard to reach areas. Uh, and they are always, always undergoing spiritual warfare, one thing after the other. I went to my email inbox the other day and I found this letter from them. Check this out. If you want to know what it's like to undergo this kind of warfare and get these flaming darts and what the shield of faith looks like if you're on a, the front line of mission, check this letter out. Dear partners in the faith, please pray for my precious wife. We are currently at the hospital as she is experiencing major GI distress. The most severe case I've ever witnessed. She has spiked a fever and we are thinking more treatment may be needed. Many of you know this is not unfamiliar territory for us and brings back dark memories of our trip to Ethiopia when I experienced the same sickness. We were desperately in need of all of you to help us through that difficult battle when we felt weary. We are there again. Please ask the great healer to restore her to health. She has lost lots of fluid. She is so severely dehydrated, her hands and lips are blue. More antibiotics are necessary because... She cannot keep anything down. He meant IV antibiotics. For those who have not experienced major overseas GI issues that go beyond basic food poisoning, the situation can feel desperate. That is how she feels right now. Yet she continues. So what's the shield of faith? Yet she continues to ask me to read the word to her by her bedside. For me, I feel confident in the Lord. In the midst of yet more trying overseas illness, our God is great and by His grace, we are not afraid. That came into my inbox a week after they decided to go to one of the most closed countries where there are the kinds of Muslims that want to behead you and set you on fire. They're going there. And then this happened. That is the evil day. That is when you need this shield because quite frankly, you are a threat to the enemy. Do you know in the New Testament, you read all kinds of uh, demonic oppression, possession, exorcisms, the apostles casting out demons. And there's one place that's interesting. There's these cats named the seven sons of Sceva, right? Uh, and they were just religious. They weren't really devoted to Christ. I don't even think they were believers. And they saw all the attention that the apostles were getting for casting out demons. So they thought they'd give it a shot. You remember this? And so they went and tried to do some hocus pocus and cast out demons. And these demons gave them a licking. Do you remember this? True story from the Bible. It says these demons tore into them. And I don't know how that the people that were possessed, like, tore into them. And it says that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. And the demons said this. They said, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but who are you? <laughs> in other words, who in the world do you think you are? You're nothing against us. You had no shield of faith. So it's the people that are living on the front line of mission and taking up their cross. They are the threat to the enemy. They are the ones who draw the most fire. And that's true in the Christian life. If you've lived as a Christian very long, you know that. Tim Keller said this. I know you probably can't read that. I'm sorry. That's a, that's a great picture of uh, soldiers storming the beaches in Normandy, in France, Omaha Beach. And it says this. This is Tim Keller. People who are on the front line are much more likely to go down with a bullet than people who are cowering behind the lines. The front line is the place of mission. The front line is the place where you open your mouth and say, this is what Christ means to me. Your front line is the place where you go out on a limb to do something because you know it'll make a difference in this neighborhood. It'll make a difference in the city. That's the front line. When you go to the front line, there are all sorts of flying missiles. There are all sorts of flying objects with your name on them. 
The minute, have you, have you, has anybody experienced this? The minute you decide, you know what? God's called me to this ministry. He's called me to do foster care. He's called me to do overseas missions. He's called me to be a, a, a part of a team that's planning a church. He's call, called me to start this neighborhood Bible study, to lead a home group. Then the fiery darts come, don't they? And if you don't have your shield of faith, you're going to suffer damage. And that's why a lot of people are like, this ain't for me. It's not for me. I'm out. I'll be back there. You guys fight the battle. God's called me to guard the, the water bottles or whatever, you know. It's hard. Ministry's hard. Um, there's a quote by Shakespeare that I like, and it says this. It's from Macbeth. Each new morning, new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows strike heaven on the face. We don't want to believe that as Christians, but that is absolutely true. Every new morning, tragedy hits, suffering violence, injustice, oppression. We encounter that as Christians. Every morning as Christians. You know, and thankfully God's mercies are new every morning. But the Bible says, listen, through many tribulations you enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Doesn't the Bible say that? It says, as the sparks fly upward, man is filled with trouble. We have aches, we have afflictions, trials, sickness, temptations, failings. All those things are a part, a very real part of living the Christian life. And I know sometimes we get, we read this, this armor passage and we get all romantic about it. We romanticize it and idealize it and we, we think this is epic, man. And we envision ourselves running out into a field with our shining armor on and Satan gets one look at us and yipe, 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 he runs off. But listen, that may not be how it goes down. Just to be honest with you as your pastor. You may not be in a field when you fight Satan. You may be in your bed, shriveled up and withering from pancreatic cancer. See, that may be, that may be how the, the flaming darts come. And you begin to doubt and question God's goodness. Is God with me? Has he abandoned me? Is God punishing me? Did I do something to deserve this? Or maybe you're not in a field fighting Satan, maybe you're on your front porch and, and the mailman comes up and serves you divorce papers. It's happened before, hasn't it? Or maybe you're just in a troubled marriage or a failed marriage or a marriage filled with conflict that's so unresolved and unmanageable that you're ready to throw in the towel. Maybe that's it. Or maybe you're fighting this battle not in a field but on the telephone when your child's principal calls and tells you, hey, we found drugs on so-and-so. Or when you're checking their phone and you see these images and you say, where in the world did this come from? I did not raise them this way. Or when you're facing profound loss, you've lost a child. Or your child's sick. Or you have chronic illness that just is not going away. Or maybe it's anxiety for you. Or maybe it's depression. Suicidal thoughts. Dark, morbid thoughts. See, that's how the battle really goes down for Christians. And a lot of people aren't willing to talk about this. And the Bible says you have to. We have to be prepared. The evil day is coming. Or maybe your fight with Satan is not in a field. Maybe it's just you're a single parent and you're just exhausted. And there doesn't seem to be any, you know, relief on the horizon. Or maybe you're looking for that spouse that God hasn't brought yet or maybe He won't bring. And you're seeing this singleness is not for a season. This is, this is how I'm going to serve the Lord until Christ returns or I'll die. And then the thoughts come. Maybe you battle thoughts of envy or bitterness or resentment. That's how it happens. And you can argue like this, well, I'm a servant of God and things like this don't happen to God's servants. 
You can believe that lie. That's one of his fiery darts. See, Satan is so subtle, isn't he? The way he fires these things. Or you can take up your shield of faith and believe the corresponding promise for whatever lie Satan is shooting your way. But listen, one of these mornings, like Shakespeare said, will howl in agony and in pain and say, what in the world is going on? That's what happens. And that's the next point, really. Listen, I want to encourage you. That was supposed to be encouragement, okay? <laughs> um, that was supposed to be encouragement for you because, listen, reality is supposed to encourage you. That when you're living on mission for Jesus, listen, if you feel right now you are in the midst of these flaming darts that are raining down on you, that may mean, actually, man, you are in a place where you are making a dent in the kingdom of darkness. And hallelujah, praise God for you. Don't give up. Listen to what this sermon is telling you. I have found in the greatest periods of, of uh, where I feel like I'm striving against the enemy, those are the times when God is really using the power of the gospel to unleash it through his agents. And it's hard. And it's also challenging and painful. And you want the pain to go away, but that's just how the kingdom of God works. Well, here's the second thing. These, point number two. These fiery darts are agonizing, right? And the fact that these Roman soldiers would use those shields, that means this. They are in enemy-occupied territory. They are at the base of the castle wall. They have laid siege to this stronghold, and they're about to breach it. They are about to breach it. And listen, here's the tactic that both Satan uses and all the enemies of Rome would use. These firing darts, like I said earlier, they would wrap, sometimes they would wrap cloth and oil and pitch and petroleum and light it on fire, and they would shoot these things down on you. They, this is not hand-to-hand -hand combat with a sword. This is archers that are skilled and that are precise and accurate. And they're either shooting these things down on you, this rain of, of, of arrows, or they are pouring hot lead. That's why these shields, see, you would have to get by. This is the, the word in Greek for, for shield. It actually, the, the, the etymology of that word, it actually means a door. And that's essentially what this was. It would be like you standing behind this door to protect your entire body from what the enemy was throwing at you. And listen, again, that means that you've made a dent. You're making an impact. You're a threat. And so what was behind this, this fiery darts, it is this. The enemy wants you to surrender. He wants you to stop. He wants you to quit. He wants you to give up. He wants you to panic and he wants you to go home. Because listen, it's one thing if you see one of your soldier buddies get hit with a bullet that's a superficial flesh wound. That's expected. It's another thing if you see your buddy's hair catch on fire and him begin to burn alive and collapse in a pile of ashes. See, you would panic then. That would be shocking. That would be surprising. You would be tempted to throw in the towel and say, I can't do this. That's exactly what Satan's tactic is. That is exactly what he wants. That's why he fires these darts at us. And listen, this word is really powerful that is used here, extinguish. It means to completely snuff out, to put out, to quench something. It's the same word that the Apostle Paul used in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, I think it's there, when he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit of God. That means to deprive something of its power, to ruin the effectiveness of a thing. That's what this shield of faith is supposed to do to these firing darts, supposed to put them out. Sometimes soldiers would rub, I didn't understand this exactly, it must be a different kind of oil. They would rub oil on their shield. I would think that's the last thing you want to do, right? Put petroleum on your shield when a flaming, anyway. They would put something that would quench the arrows that were on fire when they penetrated that shield. 
And this is the last point that I want to make, point three. This is where I want to spend the majority of the time here. Point three is this. You have to have a strategy. The first point was to encourage you. If you're getting these arrows shot at you, it means, man, you're living on mission for Jesus. You've taken up your cross. You're making a dent. Second thing is, Satan's tactic is to alarm you, shock you, make you surrender, throw in the towel, and leave. Go home. Leave the mission field. Leave the church. Isolate yourself. Leave the home group. I can't take this. Too much conflict. Whatever it is. And the third point is this. You've got to have a strategy. And Paul tells us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what our strategy is. Take up the shield of faith with which you can quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Now, it was interesting studying for this because I had no idea there was this much controversy on what these fiery darts are. Wouldn't you like to know what these things are? I mean, this is all metaphorical, obviously, right? Satan's not shooting literal arrows at us. It would almost be easier if he was. We could find a way to effectively protect ourselves. No, this is a spiritual invisible battle. So what is it? What are these darts? And man, you would not believe. I have read the full gamut of what theologians and Bible scholars believe these things are. Some people believe it's sickness. A fiery dart of Satan is to make you sick. Or a fiery dart of Satan is to make you suffer or have anguish. Or the cancer, cancer that's Satan. The sickness, that's Satan. Whatever it is, the earthquake, the volcano, the people give Satan a whole lot of power, right? But here's my question. Can you quench a volcano? Can you quench a tsunami? Can you quench a lightning storm? Can you quench cancer? Do you have that kind of power? Did God give you that kind of power. Now look, I know we can pray for healing. I'm not disputing that. That's a different sermon. I'm asking you, can you quench all these things that are an inevitable part of our life? Let me give you that this is not a trick question. No, you cannot. You can't quench those. They're coming. The evil day is coming, brother, sister. But what can you quench? What power has God given you? Man, this is good, guys. I hope you wrap your mind around this and take this to the bank with you when you leave and take it to work with you and school with you and back to your home with you when you leave here today and wake up in the morning. What do you have the power to extinguish? Your response to those things. Your bad response to those things. You say, what are you talking about? Listen, guys. The thing about Satan is this. The Bible says he is a liar. He's a liar. And he's a good one. Have you ever met a good liar? Are you a good liar? No, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. You know what it takes to be a good liar? The same thing it takes to be a good stand-up comedian. Timing is everything everything. And I want to tell you this. Satan is a good liar. In fact, the Bible in John 8, 44, it says that Satan is the father of lies. He's the father. That means you're never more like Satan than when you lie. I will tell you that. That's, that's just a freebie that, that goes along. Not in the notes, just thought I'd toss that out there. Sa Satan is the father of lies. He consistently lies and he is very good at it. We say, what does it mean to be an effective liar? Well, three things really. Um, you're so naturally good at lying, you pretend and you act that you remove all suspicion from the person you're lying to. You're believable. Is Satan good at lying? Oh, yeah, he's the best there is. I mean, his, his lying is so effective, he took a perfect couple in a perfect garden before sin ever entered the world, and he deceived them. He deceived them. And we're worse off than they were, right? We had the capacity to sin and the tendency to sin at times, right? Here's the second thing that makes you an effective liar. Um, I wrote it in my notes here. I better look at it. Secondly, you do not find it difficult to lie. <laughs> it's not hard for you to lie. You know, 
I got to be honest, man. It's hard. I'm, I'm one of those kids that got myself in trouble all the time. Now, listen, I'm, I'm jacked up. I got a lot of bad things about me and my life, my character flaws. But lying was not really one of them just because of the way I was raised, I guess. I lie to myself more than I lie to others. But I would always tell on myself, no, a good liar, he can lie with ease. In fact, he enjoys it. He's good at it. Doesn't bother him in the least bit. That's the second thing. You don't find it difficult to lie. And Satan is a skilled liar. And the third thing is this. You don't experience emotions such as fear or guilt when you're lying. In other words, it doesn't bother you. It's just, you enjoy it. It's, it's an art. It's a sport. And for all those three reasons, Satan is the best liar. And timing, his timing is impeccable. And what does that mean? That means this. When you are at... When you are at your most vulnerable position, Jeff said this a few weeks ago, that one of Satan's greatest, greatest tactics is shame, right? And that's all about timing. When you are heartbroken, that's when the fiery darts come to you, my friend. That's when the lies are sent by Satan. When you are heartbroken, when you're angry, when you're sad, when you're depressed, when you're sick, when you're vulnerable. That's when Satan sends his fiery darts at you. That's when they come. Listen, you can't stop some of the things that the devil does. I was reading Revelation last night. Sarah and I looked at this. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. This is, these are letters to the churches that J John the Apostle wrote. This is a letter to Smyrna, the church at Smyrna. He says, behold, this is Jesus talking. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Now, you know what he says next? He doesn't say, quench that dart, brothers and sisters. No, you're going to prison. Satan, for some strange reason, was given the authority by God to cast some of these believers in that church into prison. And you know what Jesus' instructions were to them? He says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. In other words, Satan is going to throw you in prison and I'm going to let him. And you don't have any power over that. It's a done deal. But what you do have the power over is be faithful while you're in there because he will be firing darts at you. Like what? What, what kind of darts would Satan be firing? God's forgotten about you. You're all alone in this. God's punishing you. God doesn't love you. All this is meaningless. All this suffering, all this injustice has no point. It's just random, meaningless pain and suffering. God's not going to use it to do a thing. Have you ever experienced any of those darts from the enemy? Boy, I have, I'm telling you. And it's always, as I look back in retrospect, it's always been at the time when I was the most vulnerable. Always, always. Satan sends fiery darts like that when you are most vulnerable. I can remember this. When I was in California with Sarah, and I've shared the story, I'm not going to rehash all of it. My wife uh, came down with an organic form of depression because it was, uh, oh man, I can't even think of the name of it. Help me out, Elizabeth. Post- Postpartum depression. She was a textbook case, but we didn't know. I thought Christians don't get depressed. So this is, you know, this, this is uh, satanic, and this is because of my sin, and, and God's judging me, and, and all kinds of stuff happened. And I'm telling you right now, Satan began to fire his flaming darts at me. And Sarah. We were overwhelmed. We were facing despair and darkness every day. It was just engulfing us. We were in this huge cloud, and here's why. Because we did not know the future. I wanted somebody to tell me and tell my wife, look, this is not going to be this way, you know, for just a few weeks. That's what I wanted. I wanted clarity. I wanted uh, like an, uh, a blueprint from heaven to float down and say, like this, 
10 days and that's it. I mean, that was the, the redeeming quality of that, wasn't it? Jesus said, just 10 days. On the 11th day, you'll be let out. I didn't get no letter like that. It sounded like a redneck. I didn't get a letter like that. All I got was, hey, your wife's depressed and God's sovereign. <laughs> you know, so, bro. That was some of the things that people were telling me. I wanted clarity, but God gave me something better than that. He gave me faith. We were able to take up, and I'm not putting a feather on my hat because it was bloody and ugly. I didn't get this right off the bat. It took a long time because we had to wake up in the morning and say, look, we don't know how long this depression is going to last. I don't know when God and his sovereignty is going to choose to lift this veil of darkness. I don't know that. So what's the shield of faith? Here's what I do know, though. Here's what I do know. For every lie that Satan fires at you, there is a corresponding promise that Jesus has bought for you through the gospel. All of these pieces of armor are the freedoms and benefits and privileges of the gospel. Just like Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So we would wake up, put our shield of faith on, say, I don't know if today's going to be a good day or a bad day, but I know this. He will not abandon my soul in Hades. I know this, Psalm 56, 9 says, this I know that God is for me. I know this, God is not punishing me. I know that. He's my father. If this is chastening, it's for my good. It's for Sarah's good. Man, we claimed all those promises in the Bible. And you know what? I'm not saying that's not what led to God lifting the veil. If God would have prolonged that depression for a year, two years, he would have given us grace. We were at a place where we were stronger and able to handle it because of the faith that God gave us. That's what the shield of faith is. Now look, I'm running out of time here. I just want to give you... I want to be very practical to you today. And look, I could do a five-part series just on this piece of armor, but I just want to give you a few, a few of the lies that Satan sends to you when you're vulnerable. These are just a few of the lies. Here's lie number one. You are all alone. God has abandoned you. He's deserted you. He's forsaken you. He's not, or maybe he's not completely with you in this. You, you went and made a stupid decision. This is where it really comes in. You thought that God was calling you to this mission or that mission or this church and that church. You went out. That wasn't God, though. And now you know what? You're on your own, buddy. God's not with you. So good luck figuring this out on your own. You have provoked the Lord, and he's out. Now, when Satan fires that dart at you, and that's one of his favorites, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What corresponding promise? Because that's what the shield of faith is. What promise are you going to pick up? Well, Jesus said, what? I will never, ever leave you as orphans. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to you to be your teacher, to guide you, to direct you, to empower you for ministry. You're not alone. That's the song you sing back to Satan. That's, that's the corresponding promise that you brazen up on your shield and hold it up. That's one of his lies. Here's another lie. Things will never change. This pain will last forever. Now, guys, I want to be really honest with you on this one, okay? Because I have been in the hospital room where people were dying of cancer and where God had chosen not to heal them. For sovereign purposes, I, I, I don't know. I, can't, I don't know the sovereign decrees and hidden counsel of God, but it was very evident that this person um, is going to be in heaven soon. God has not chosen to heal them of cancer. But here's the lie Here's the lie that we can combat with the shield of faith when it's this pain is not going to go away and this, it's going to be this way forever. See, I'm able to take up my shield of faith and say, no, this is not going to last forever because God is going to heal you. He may not do it in the next five days. 
and we may have a funeral and a memorial service for you, but my friend, you will be healed at that time. Amen? God does heal us, friends. Maybe just not on our timetable. So I can say this. This pain has an expiration date. I can say that. I can always say that with absolute confidence because Jesus said what? Behold, I am making all things new. He is going to come and He is going to restore this fallen planet. He is going to right every wrong. He is going to judge and avenge His enemies. And He is going to restore our bodies. And we will never ever suffer or cry or weep or be tormented or be persecuted again. That's a promise you can take to the bank. And that's a big one. You need that shield right there. When you're sick, when you're afflicted, when there's conflict and it's so chronic and it's so perpetual and you say, God, I can't take this anymore. You need that shield of faith. Here's another one. This is all meaningless, this suffering. Your suffering has no point or no purpose. Well, what's your, what's your answer to that when Satan fires that dart at you? What are you going to say? Well, we can all go to Romans 8, right? And he says, all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But I would go even further than that. I would say, you're saying this thing, that's this evil day, this terrible affliction that's come upon me, it's meaningless? And I would say, okay, well, let's, let's use logic here, okay? What's the most evil, uh, seemingly random, meaningless injustice the world has ever seen? It's the cross, amen, that's right. It's the truly innocent and righteous man being mistreated, aligned, slandered, persecuted, and murdered unjustly. And was that meaningless? <laughs> that just happened to be the greatest event in the history of the universe that secured the redemption of sinners like us, right? If God can bring purpose and meaning out of that, this, this ain't nothing. This is nothing. Those are a, a few of the lies. Was that the third one? Here's another one. Your sin is too great. You are hopeless to experience change and transformation. You've gone too far this time. Satan ever say that to you? Whisper that in your ear? What do you say? The Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And the gospel is still a powerful, present reality in your life. That's why we always say continually preach the gospel to yourself. You don't believe the gospel to become a Christian, enter the kingdom, and then put it on a shelf and wait till you go evangelize unbelievers. No, you continually preach the gospel to yourself. That means you argue with yourself. Like, no, God is for me. God loves me. He's pledged himself to you, to me. Um, he says he will forgive us 70 times 7. Because that's what Satan does, you know. Here's one of the tactics of Satan. One of the Puritans said this. He said Satan is a parasite and then he's a tyrant. And here's what he meant by that. Tell me, tell me, brothers and sisters, if you've ever gone through this as a Christian, living on mission and you're tempted. You're tempted. When you're tempted, impeccable timing by Satan. What, is he, what lies does he whisper? This sin is not a big deal. He doesn't even call it a sin. Satan's much more subtle than that. He would say, this is just pleasure. You, you deserve this. Give yourself a little break. You've been fighting hard. You've been fighting sin, killing sin. Just, just click on that image. God will forgive you. It's not a big deal. They're not even totally nude. Whatever it is. He says, this is not a big deal. And you deserve this. And you're stressed out. Most people I talk to that enter into the world of pornography, usually the, these words circulate. Well, I was tired. I was stressed out. Satan knows that. His, pecking's, his, his timing is impeccable. So he's, he's a leech. He's a parasite. Go on. Go ahead. Do it. And then when you do it, then what does Satan do? Then he's not a parasite anymore. He's a tyrant. And he says, I cannot believe you did that. 
I cannot. You are the worst Christian who's ever lived. How could you treat your Savior who died for you that way? He's never going to forgive you. This is it. You've done it this time. You've provoked his anger. He's going to chasten you and punish you. He can't use you anymore. You can't be a servant anymore. Satan ever done that? He ever played, he ever plied that trade with you? He has me. He has me. What do you, what do, you do? What's the shield of faith? No, no, no. See, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, see, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See the power of the gospel? You have to argue with yourself. There is a corresponding promise for every lie that Satan sends to you. Oh man, there's, there's so many guys. I'm not going to be able to cover them all. Um, but listen to this. Check this out. In the book of Hebrews, it says this about Moses. How powerful is this shield of faith? Listen to what Moses did. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That would have been an easy life for him. Can you imagine being Pharaoh's... Can you imagine being Pharaoh's grandson? Whatever you want, my friend, is yours. Untold riches, women, whatever you want, right? Moses knew he could pursue that lifestyle. But he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting or passing pleasures of sin. See, Satan whispered, and don't you know Satan was there, whispering in Moses' ear, don't do this. God doesn't need you to deliver his people. He'll get somebody else to do it. You stutter anyway. You're slow of tongue. Moses said, no, I'm going to forsake this life. I'm going to choose mistreatment with the people of God. How? Faith. He picked up his shield of faith. And he says this, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Um, man, I got just one or, one or two quick, quick things to say, brothers and sisters, and we'll be done, okay? One of my favorite people to read, his name's Jack Miller. He wrote uh, a series of lectures called the Sonship Lectures. And he talks about, he's written books, he's given, he's, uh, he's a kind of a celebrity, I guess you could say Christian or pastor, and it's done my soul really a lot of good. He's, he's surrounded by controversy because people say he, he focuses too much on grace, that he encourages disobedience, which is a lie. But I understand the charge. When you preach the gospel, people misunderstand. They think you're preaching antinomianism, lawlessness. But there was a time when he was in his church, he was going to seminary, and he was just fed up. He was fed up with everything. This is what he said. In despair, I resigned from the church I was serving. I despised the denomination I was in, and I resigned from my seminary. My wife suggested that we go away to Spain. I studied the promises in Scripture day in and day out for three and a half months. I went from Genesis to Revelation, and I came back a changed person. The gospel became powerful in my life and heart and ministry again. What did he do? He studied every single promise of God throughout the entire Bible. Now listen, I want to suggest something to you. If you want some homework, if you're facing these fiery darts and you're finding that you hold the shield up and you got nothing, you got a piece of wax paper or parchment paper, um, brothers and sisters, you need to go to the scriptures and you need to pile up some ammunition. You need to wrap your mind and your heart around all these precious promises that God has given to you that are all, all of them are yes and amen in Jesus. Every promise that God ever made to you, we can trust because of Jesus. It's what the Bible teaches us. And Jack Miller said this, 
hook our faith into promises, not appearances. The promises don't go to what we see, but what God has said. We see sickness. We see cancer. We see persecution. We see conflict. Don't hook your faith on those. Hook them on the promises of God. That's what he says. And here's the last thing I wanted to share. Um, any Lord of the Ring fans in here? Come on, shout out. You guys are tired, aren't you? You're like, come on, wrap this up, Pastor. I ain't getting there. Just hang on a minute. Um, I love the see. I love the books and I love the movies, all of them. And unfortunately, unless you're a Lord of the Rings nerd, geek like me, you didn't see this because this is in the deleted scenes that you have to get the extended edition. But that's another sermon for another time. But this is a great part in the book that I do. I can't believe they didn't put it in the in the critical mass movie part. So check this out. You know, there's the Fellowship of the Ring. There's Gandalf. There's Legolas. There's uh, the little dwarf. Can't remember his name. What's his name? Gimli, thank you. I was just testing to see if we had any fans in here. So they all entrusted the fate of Middle-earth to two little hobbits, little halflings, right? Samwise Ganji and Frodo Baggins. He's carrying this ring of power around his neck, and they have sent him into the enemy's territory to take this ring all the way to Mount Doom and destroy it. That's the only place it could be destroyed in the very fires that it was fashioned and formed from. So near the very end of the movie, near the very end of the book, they don't know what happened to Samwise Ganji and Frodo. They don't know. They're just trusting that their mission is successful. Uh, but, but everything's critical. And so Gandalf and Aragorn, the new king, and a few others, the dwarf, they go up and storm the gates of Mordor. And they call out, let the dark lord of these lands come out so that he may face justice. And I don't know if you remember this. It's really creepy in the movie. This tall, evil, dark figure riding a skeleton of a horse with flaming eyes rides out. And he introduces himself as the mouth of Sauron. The mouth of Sauron. And he doesn't have any eyes and he's got these vicious, bloody looking teeth. It's pretty creepy. And um, here's one of the first things that he does. And I believe, I believe this. I believe J.R.R. Tolkien wanted this to represent Satan in that movie. Just because of the way it goes down. It reflects so much of the Bible. But one of the first things he does is he pulls out the clothing of Frodo and Samwise Ganji, because, you know, those hobbits were captured, but they escaped. But when they were captured, they took their clothes and their weapons. He pulls out this armor that he wore, and a cloak that he wore, and their sword, and he says, look at this. I'm paraphrasing. He says, look what we got. We captured your little hobbit friends, and we have been tormenting them. I didn't know such little halflings could endure so much pain, but they did. They did, Gandalf. We've been tormenting them. And you can see in the book, it says Gandalf was crestfallen. He began to just be in despair. But in the movie, this check this out. This is my favorite part of the movie, Aragorn. He rides over beside this mouth of Sauron. And just all of a sudden, he pulls out a sword and he cuts his head off. It's awesome. I love it. I'm sorry. I like that movie. It has a little bit of violence in it. But it's, and he says this. He says, I do not believe it. I will not believe it. And he cuts off this guy's head and it goes tumbling. And I love that because, man, that is exactly... Now look, I'm not saying we go trying to cut off Satan's head or nothing like that. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the confidence and the courage that Aragorn had. He said, I don't believe this. I will not believe this. This goes against the mission that we're on and the promises that the Lord of the Rings has made to us for success. And it's the same with us, guys. Don't, we don't have to believe the lies of Satan. We take up our shield of faith and we trust in what is unseen, that God is for us, He is with us, He's forgiven us, and we will be victorious because of Him. And listen, I want to I move into this time of our, of our service 
um, we're about to serve communion. And one of the greatest ways that you can cultivate and kindle faith is by serving communion. Okay? Because this is a visible, physical, tangible reminder of this pledge and commitment that God and Christ has made to you. When you handle the bread, the wafers in your hand, when you drink the juice, you know that this was the blood that Christ shed for you. This is His body that was broken for you so that your sins could be atoned for, so that you can be transformed.